Well, when CBU calls, I answer. So I'll just let you know up front, anytime CBU calls, I'll answer. How, don't you feel that way when CBU calls, uh, we'll answer. My little granddaughter, Stella, my youngest granddaughter, she was about four years old, and uh, we were in the automobile with Stella and her parents and just carrying on conversations. Stella was in the back seat with me, and my little four-year-old granddaughter said, Grandma, you just talk constantly. That's just all you do. You just talk constantly. I said, Stella, people actually give me money to talk constantly. I said, that's why I can buy you Christmas presents. People give me money to talk constantly. So it's always my privilege to talk constantly about God. And I appreciate this opportunity to be with you. It's just been a wonderful weekend, hasn't it? Uh, it's just been a good good time with the Lord. So let's, let's believe that the Holy Spirit's going to put the period to what was begun. So Holy Spirit, we just uh, open our ears to hear you. Holy Spirit, you've been sent to help me, so I ask you to be the helper and to bring forth everything that needs to be said, everything that needs to be ministered. We just thank you that when we're finished here, that, that everything will have been accomplished that was intended to be accomplished by the, the kingdom of God. We thank you now for this time. We thank you for this opportunity. So come, Holy Spirit, have your way. Come, Holy Spirit, have your place in my life. Come, Holy Spirit, and do what only you can do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The Apostle Paul wrote to his spiritual son Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, and he sort of summarized life as only the Holy Spirit and the Apostle Paul can do. He sort of just brought everything to this conclusion for Timothy. And he wrote, fight the good fight of faith lay hold unto eternal life unto which you are called and which you have professed a good profession unto many people. Fight the good fight of faith and lay hold. Fight the good fight of faith and lay hold. So we come to this time where we, we're going to bring to a conclusion this thought of crossing the Jordan, that, that we are ending a season with God and we're in, entering into a new season. We, we're coming to this time when God is requiring us to go a way we've never gone before. And every one of us in the room are going to go home and we're going to do life. Every one of us are going back, and we're going to live life. And hopefully, when we return home, we will live that prophetic life. And by prophetic, I mean that there is something God has put before you. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your situation. The prophetic is the thing that God has put before you. And God always focuses us on what is before us. We run the race looking at what is before us. We forget what is behind. We reach for what is before us. So we're going to go back and every one of you hopefully will encounter that prophetic thing of God, meaning how do you uh, achieve God's purposes in this generation? That, that's the key for all of us. We do it in different ways. Uh, in my life, God's given me a pulpit. So I, I will do it this way. But you will have your varied ways of accomplishing the thing that God wants to come out of your life. That's between you and God. And the Bible tells us very clearly that a lot of this is up to you that in order to uh, arrive and to achieve what God wants 
in your life that, that it is a fight. Uh, he calls it the good fight. Uh, he tells us there are things we have to lay hold of. There are things God's already uh, spoken over our lives. There are things God has already given us through the work of Jesus in his death and resurrection. But it is a matter of our laying hold. It is a matter of our fighting the, the fight of faith. Now, notice what the Apostle Paul wrote. He said the, the fight that we have is this fight of faith. And in order to understand that, I'm, I'm going to give us a very simple definition of faith from 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. It says, this is the victory that overcomes the, wor the world, even our faith. So we understand that when we enter into this fight, that we're not fighting to get something. Uh, Jesus has already done the getting. Jesus, through his death, burial, and resurrection, purchased for us everything that we need to live the life God intends us to lead. So it, it's not a matter of we're, we're fighting to, to get something. When we enter into this fight of faith, uh, we must have a reference point. In doing life, we must have a reference point. And, and many, many times our reference point is wrong. Our reference point is what happened back here. I've been hurt so bad back here, I can't function now. Uh, sometimes our reference point is, is depression, defeat, the, the negativity. And what Paul is teaching us here that we're going to go back and we are going to have to bring into our lives and into our experiences everything that Jesus has accomplished for us. As far as God is concerned, it's done deal, but, but we have to take what is promised and let it be a performance. Do you understand that? What's promised has to be performed. And this is the fight of faith. And the reference point is victory. That this is where God wants us to have our reference point. We're not fighting from a place of trying to get something. We're not trying from a place of defeat. What we are, are doing is we are establishing in our lives what God has said about us. We are establishing in our lives what Jesus has done for us. So our starting place is the fight of faith, which means we start from the place of victory, and then we lay hold. And it doesn't matter how many prophetic words we have. It doesn't matter what God has said about us. If we don't fight the fight from a point of victory and lay hold, then what is promised is never performed so that we just end up being a people who never really experience the height, the depth, the breadth, and the fullness of Almighty God. Now, we have been talking about Joshua and the Israelites, and in the first chapter of Joshua, the Lord has appeared to the commander of the Israelites, the man Joshua, and gave him instructions about these battles that were going to go on in, in taking the promised land. The land had been promised. Joshua was going to have to fight. He was going to have to fight these battles. This is what the book of Joshua is about, the battles that this man would fight to establish what God had promised. So in Joshua chapter 1, verse 3, God says to Joshua, Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I already given to you. So there were things that had already been given to Joshua. God said, There will not be a man able to stand before you all the days of your life, as I was with Moses, 
so I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Now God is saying to him, I'll be to you exactly what I was to Joshua, and I've already given you the land, but you're going to have to put your foot on it. And God said, the only thing that you'll end up possessing is what you put your foot on. And, and he said it very clearly. Every place that the sole of your foot touches, then that's going to be yours. So here was Joshua having to fight this fight of faith. Joshua just couldn't sit back and say, well, God's promised us the land, and we're just going to stay on this side of Jordan until God gives us the land. They were required to enter into the river which God parted, and then they fought battles, beginning in Joshua chapter 6. And the battles are, are clearly uh, established for us. So we have to understand that, that it's going to take some effort on our part. Uh, we, we cannot just uh, come to gatherings like this and hear wonderful messages and people lay hands on us, prophesy over us, cast vision, and, and then go home and just think, well, God will do whatever God will do. There is some laying hold. There is the need to establish. Uh, I met my husband on a blind date, and uh, I thought at that time in his life he was the cutest little thing in shoe leather. I still think he's the cutest little thing in shoe leather. God says, call things that be not as though they were, and they become <laughs> what you call them. So you may not think he's so cute, Carlton, but I'm calling things that be not as though they, they were. And I don't know, we, we met married within six months, so somewhere around that first month or so, I laid hold on him. You know what I mean? As only a girl can do. Uh, some of you men were laid hold on. Uh, and and I, I really didn't fight for this man. I wanted to be uh, Mrs. Jean Evans. So this laying hold is where we establish uh, what God has promised, but we, we begin this fight from a reference of victory. I want us to know we're the winners this morning. We're the victors this morning. We're not starting from ground zero negativity we're already on top of the pile, and, and the score is over, ended, done. We start from a, a place of, of victory. And sometimes we're just passive people. Sometimes we just aren't good fighters. Thank God somebody taught me how to fight the fight of faith. And, and sometimes we just come to uh, these encounters with God, and, and God does his work, but we never go home and lay hold of it. Jean uh, just bought this wonderful little German Shepherd dog when our children were small, and Jean said he was buying the German Shepherd for the boys, but the whole family knew that was Jean's dog. And Jean and Scout just loved each other dearly. And Scout was bought as a little puppy, and Jean would hold Scout in his lap and you know, pet Scout. So even though Scout grew to be over 100 pounds, Scout was really a lap dog. He was not a vicious, she was not a vicious German shepherd. And across the street from our home were, were a family who had two Dobermans. And those Dobermans were mean dogs. And they would, uh, really had to build a little pen for them. They were so you know, just kind of mean dogs. And those Dobermans would see our scout in our yard, and they would lunge at the fence, barking at scout. And scout would be in our yard barking back just viciously. So one day, Gene and I had been somewhere, and we came home, and the Dobermans had gotten out of their little fenced area, and they were in our front yard lunging at our German shepherd. And Scout was barking back, and the two Dobermans were just viciously barking. Gene pulled into the driveway and said, I can't believe those Dobermans are going to hurt my German shepherd. So Gene jumps out of the car, leaves the car door open, runs over into the, you know, where the shrubbery is, picks up a stick, 
and gets between Scout and the Dobermans and starts beating the Dobermans back. And when Gene got between Scout and the Dobermans, Scout ran and jumped into the uh, seat that Gene had just vacated. <laughs> so now Scout's behind the steering wheel and Gene's out there fighting the Dobermans. <laughs> and I said to Gene, yoo-hoo, I said, <laughs> Your vicious German shepherd's in the automobile. And so now Gene's out there trying to beat the Dobermans off of himself. And thank God he was able to do that. And I think sometimes that's the way we are with God. You know, we, we come and God gives us, you know, these wonderful experiences, these promises that are in the Bible, the vision of the future. And, and we go home and the Dobermans are in the yard. And we just want to be in the automobile and let Jesus fight the Dobermans. It doesn't work that way. You have to go and you have to fight. You have to lay hold. But there is the, the place uh, of victory. Uh, when the Israelites sent two spies into Jericho to determine uh, how this battle was going to go, uh, these two spies actually went into the house of Rahab the harlot. And in Joshua chapter 2, Rahab is talking to these two Israelite men that she is hiding in the city of Jericho. And in verses 9 and 11, these are the words she said to them. She said, I know that the Lord has given unto you the land, now here, here she is before there's ever a battle. This prostitute, this Canaanite woman living in Jericho said, I know the Lord's already given you the land and your terror has fallen on us and all, that, all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you because we have heard how the Lord dried up the Red Sea for you. Uh, we, we heard when you came out of Egypt what he did for you. Uh, we heard uh, the kings of the Amorites, uh, we heard uh, about that. She said, we heard how you utterly uh, destroyed these people. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt. And there remained no more courage in us uh, because of you. So here were these heathen people and, and Rahab testified, uh, they had heard how awesome God was. And God had performed things in those people's lives, and this testimony was there. And Rahab said, look, we know this land belongs to you. Before they ever even, you know, took an inch of it, she said, we know it's yours. And what I want us to understand is sometimes we're on the wrong side of that scenario. Uh, I think what Rahab testified here is a visible picture of the way it is in the satanic kingdom. Uh, Satan knows what belongs to you. He knows it's already yours. Healing already belongs to you. Provision belongs to you. Soundness in your mind and your spirit belongs to you. Your children saved and serving God belongs to you. Health and peace and prosperity belongs to you. Satan knows these things. And, and Satan's heart melts because of the power of God. And sometimes we're the ones that are cowering in fear. Sometimes we're the ones that are very timid. Sometimes we're the ones that are very passive. We're, we're kind of like Scout and the Dobermans. We're behind the a steering wheel hoping that Jesus and the forces of heaven are going to be able to fight the battles for us. But God said to Joshua, he says to us, there are things out there and, and your, your, your beginning point is going to be victory, but you're going to have to lay hold. And, and the land is before you and it's up to you how much you possess. Whatever you put your foot on, you will possess it. And, and that is true for all of us. Whatever God has provided for us lays before us, but we have to put our, our foot on it. 
The Apostle Paul did a, kind of the New Testament side of this when he wrote to the Corinthian church. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul is going to use this picture of the Roman triumph. And I'll explain that in just a moment. He says, now thanks be to God, now, now don't let this go in one ear and out the other, who always causes us to triumph in Christ. Always. Not three-fourths of the time. He always causes us to triumph in Christ. And he makes manifest the savor of his knowledge in every place. So here is God uh, giving us these words. Always, every place. And that's our life. That means we'll go out of here and we're going to go to our places. And God has made us triumph always in every place. Now Paul was writing from the perspective of his day and his culture. And, and this is a picture of the Roman triumph. Uh, the Roman army was the greatest military force of its time. And when the Romans would fight their victories, uh, they would come back to the city of Rome and there would be a celebration called the Triumph. And they would honor the general of the Triumph. And for there to be this celebration of victory, this Roman general had to meet certain requirements. Number one, he had to be the commander-in-chief over the entire army. Uh, secondly, he had to have killed at least 5,000 of the enemy. Uh, thirdly, uh, his campaign had to be completely finished. He could not come back with half victories, and he had to take new ground. Uh, they would not honor a general who just defended what he already had. So when there was a general who had met these uh, requirements with his army, the Romans would throw this big parade. And the senators and the emperor uh, would leave the parade before the citizens of Rome who had gathered in the streets. Uh, there, there would be this uh, celebration of uh, triumph by the senators who would go before the man's chariot. The, the defeated army and the leader of the defeated army would be paraded in chains uh, before the Roman citizens that these were our enemies and this general has done this for us. Uh, the priest in Roman uh, religion would come and they would swing the pots of incense and then the Roman general would ride in his chariot. A slave would be behind him in the chariot holding a crown over his head. And his armies would be behind him. That was the Roman triumph. And Paul took this picture of the Roman triumph. And he said to us that Jesus Christ is that general. Uh, Jesus Christ is that commander in chief that we meet in Joshua chapter 5 when he said to Joshua, I'm the commander of this army. And through Calvary, uh, I'm telling you, the enemy of God, the, the kingdom of darkness was completely destroyed. And, and Paul said, now we thank Christ who has caused us to triumph with him always in every place. Now the interesting thing about Paul writing this is he wrote that at a very low point in his life because the Corinthian church had been founded by him. He was the apostle over the Corinthian church. The whole uh, thrust of 2 Corinthians is Paul's defense of his apostleship. Uh, his defense that he has a right to correct these people because false apostles had come into the Corinthian church and said, this guy has no authority here. We are now the apostles. 
We are the ones who, who speak into your lives. And Paul, you read it, is defending uh, his, his right to be there. So he, he's at a very low point. And, and that's when he writes about this victory. So Paul did not have the victory right there. People were giving him a lot of trouble, but this was his reference point. Do you get the picture here? He didn't talk about, I can't believe these sorry Corinthians who treat me this way. I can't believe they're trying to take my church away from me. I just can't. He did not start there. He said, one thing I know about Christ, always and in every place, God has given us the victory. You have the victory today. Thank God for that. Not going to get it. Won't come five years from now. You've got the victory. You just have to lay hold on it. It's yours. You've got to lay hold on it. And, and this is what Paul is teaching us. Now, we know from this, just knowing from, you know, uh, reading what Paul says, that sometimes it doesn't look like the victory. Sometimes it doesn't feel like the victory. Have you ever waked up and you don't feel like you have the victory? <laughs> have you ever gone to church with a group of people who've got no victory at all? Maybe you live with somebody who has no victory. Or maybe the people you live with robs you of the victory. I don't know. There are just all kind of uh, scenarios here. But what I want us to understand, people, is there has to be the, this, this reference point. We're not in this, we win some, we lose some. Uh, our reference point is it's over, it's done, it's the victory. We just got to lay hold on it. There's the victory for you, Tom, in Europe. God's already gone before you prophetically. I know this. God's gone before you prophetically. And you're going to go back and lay hold. Uh, we'll help him lay hold of things. But we begin at this victory point. And sometimes you just have to reel yourself in. Sometimes you just have to remind yourself you have the victory. I went to this church. I was part of a conference team. It, it was a women's conference, but I was going to actually speak to the entire church on Sunday morning as the last speaker uh, of a conference. And uh, I had never really been in this church before. It was a huge church. You know, there were just a couple of thousand people there, a couple of thousand women that came to the conference. And uh, when the woman stood up the first night to speak, uh, as she was speaking, she was on a platform that has steps coming up to it. People would get out of their uh, pews, and they would walk up to those steps and they would put money on the steps. And the pastor's wife leaned over and said to me, uh, this is the way we do things in our church. If they really like what you're saying, we don't say amen, we put money on the, the stairs. Well, I'm telling you, when she got through, it was covered with money. I kid you not, the stairs just had lots of money up there. I later heard... Uh, it was over $5,000 that had come in on those stairs. And the pastor's wife said to me, uh, we always uh, will we'll give her, you know, a, a portion of that. that. That goes to her because she's up there preaching, you know. So next day, they had several speakers. The stairs just covered with, with money. And then on Sunday morning, it was my time. Hallelujah. So I, I get up there. And so I just, I just give it my best June Evans, my platform voice, Jim, just my, my, my personality. You know, I just did the best June Evans I could. And at the end of the service, I had $3 on the stairs. $3 on the stairs. And I'm telling you, you know, I'd, I'd watched... 5,000, and, you know, the stairs just flooded with money. And I'm, you know, 20 minutes into the service, my message, and I got a dollar on the stairs. Now, how many know you can lose the victory, Jim? 
you, how many know you don't feel like the victor when the one dollar's on you? You know, I don't feel like I'm, I'm the star of this show. They had built me up to be the star of the show. And, uh, you know, I, I just had to get the grip over it. I thought, it doesn't matter whether they like me or not. God likes me and I like me, so I'm okay whether I get money on my stairs or not. <laughs> and I, you don't have to bring money up, okay? I'm not asking you to. <laughs> but if you like me and you want to lay a couple of thousand up here, I guess I'll take it and just go home with it. <laughs> When I got home, I was telling Gene that, you know, he's an accountant. He said, oh, Gene, it had nothing to do with whether they liked you. They were just out of money. <laughs> he said, y'all, thank God you got $3 and everybody else got 5000 So anyway, I'm, I'm telling you, sometimes it doesn't feel like the victory. Sometimes you don't feel any anointing, you know. I mean, there's just no anointing there. And when you come to those places, you, you have to hold on to the victory. So the first battle that Joshua ever fought was not a battle with weapons. It was a battle with feet. That was all the man used was his feet. And he marched around the walls of Jericho. And, and he didn't have a weapon except, you know, the little horn. And God said, just keep your mouth shut. And just march. Just march. And God was teaching him here, uh, it's, your feet, it's your foot battle. You've got to put your foot on something. Uh, if Joshua had said, well, I, I just really don't want to go over there and do that, uh, he would never have won the Battle of Jericho. He had to put his foot on the land that was Jericho. And he had to do extended marching. The wall didn't uh, fall down the first time around. It was actually a, a seven-day process. And, and God is teaching us a truth here that sometimes uh, it's going to take some effort. It's going to take several loops. Uh, it, it's going to take a, just keeping your mouth shut when you really want to complain and say nothing's working. But God said if you'll just, in victory, keep marching around the stronghold, the strongholds will one day fall down. But you, but you have to begin from this, this place uh, of victory. You, you, you cannot begin with this defeated uh, attitude, I'm, I'm trying to get something. It's yours. You just have to lay hold on it. You are the victor. And I don't, I don't even pretend to explain the divine activity of God in the lives of people. We're all at different places with God. We're at different levels of faith. Uh, we, we have come from different backgrounds. So I, I cannot explain why this person was instantly healed and this person it took a while. I don't have those answers. But I do have the truth of the Bible. That what Jesus did at Calvary belongs to us today. We have the victory, and we have to go home and march around the strongholds that keep us out of everything that God has provided for us. And if we will do that and fight the good fight of faith, the walls will come down. The strongholds will be destroyed. But you have to, you have to really have that reference point of, of the victory. Now, in 2007, our son Gary, my grandson Sam, and our daughter-in-law Tammy were hit head-on by a drunk driver. He was going down the highway at a very high rate of speed, and at 8.30 on a Thursday night, uh, with his lights off, he plowed into my children's automobile. Just a head-on collision. He, the drunk driver was instantly killed. By the grace of God, our children survived. And Gary, our son, had a shattered left leg and a broken right arm. 
our daughter-in-law was uh, concussed by the airbag, and praise God, our little grandson, he was eight years old at the time, only had a broken arm and a broken thumb. It was just a miracle they survived. So they took our son into surgery to put a rod in his leg and to repair the shattered bone. We never knew exactly what happened, but Gary's heart stopped. Uh, we were later told he was without oxygen for over 20 minutes. Uh, we were not told this at the time. Uh, it was Friday morning after the accident on Thursday night at 8.30, and uh, my husband had gone to my son's house and had taken our granddaughter, his daughter, our son's daughter, and they were resting. I was at the hospital alone. My daughter-in-law was in a room, and my son had been in surgery and was in intensive care. And the team of doctors came out about 2 o'clock in the morning and said to me that Gary was not going to wake up, that Gary was vegetative, that he had had brain damage, he would never be normal, and they had already contacted the hospital in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, they were sending him there on Saturday morning uh, to do surgery to put a feeding tube into his stomach. Uh, and long story short, he would live in a nursing home in a vegetative state until he died. So, so here you are, you know, Mama just standing there. I thought he was fine until they came out and told me all of this. And what happens, people, is you begin this downward spiral into despair. Uh, your mind just begins to go crazy. Uh, you just begin to feel yourself lose control. Now, now this is where we, we have to lay hold. This, this is where we've got to grab ourselves out of this. So I listened to everything the doctors had to say. And then I, I said to the doctor, well, we really do appreciate all that you've done and all that you are doing. But I said, what you don't know about us is we are a praying people. And we really do believe there is a God that answers prayer. And, uh, you know, they patted me on the back, one of the doctors did, and said, we understand, Ms. Evans, but you don't understand. Uh, there is no hope here. Prayer is not going to change this. So what I had to do is I had to get away from that. Do you, you understand that? And I, I said to God as I walked away, I was very nice to the doctors. I was not rude. And I walked away and I said, well, God, I'm not going to let a doctor put a period on this. I'm going to let you put a period on this. And I went to the chapel. Now, thank God, for the ability to pray in tongues. Oh, I don't know what I would have done if I had not been able to pray in tongues because your mind is going crazy. Your mind has trouble rising out of that negativity and fighting from a place of victory. So I prayed in tongues for a long time, and then I prayed to God, and I said, God, one thing I know is you and I and Jean are in covenant together. I said, but you are a covenant-keeping God, and we are in covenant with you, and you do not break your end of the covenant. And by the grace and the mercy of God, I'm going to hold on to my end of this covenant. And I said, God, I need you to show up like you did at Jericho and I need you to be God here. And I want you to show up and act like God. How many would like God to show up and act like God? I want you to show up and act like God here. I said, I go all over this country telling people you're a covenant-keeping God. You, you heal. You deliver. All things are possible if I can believe. So, Lord, help my unbelief. I'm telling you, I spent two and a half hours on my face in the chapel laying hold of the victory that was mine as a mother. And then about 4 o'clock in the morning, I called Gene, and 
he was, you know, at our son's house. And I said, Junior, I guess you're going to have to come down here to the hospital. I told him the doctor's report. And, and this is what I love about Gene. Gene said, June, I prayed about Gary before I went to bed tonight. He said, God has already told me Gary's going to be all right. I said, well, the doctor said he's vegetative. He said, well, God's already spoken to me about it. He's going to be all right. I love that, a man who can hear from God. A man who has the victory in spite of what another report says. A man who, who's going to already uh, encounter God. So Gene came to the hospital, and we went into intensive care with a bottle of oil, and our son was vegetative. He was posturing his eyes you know, were, were not normal. Uh, there was no response from him at all. We did what the Bible said. We anointed him with oil. We prayed the prayer of faith. God promised us the prayer of faith would save the sick. So about 7.30, the accident happened Thursday at 8.30. Uh, 7.30 Saturday morning, they put him in an uh, ambulance, took him to Birmingham. We followed in an automobile. And somewhere around noon in the Birmingham hospital, the neurologist came out. He said, Mr. and Ms. Evans said, we really don't know how to say this to you. But he said, uh, we've done all these tests on your son, and we monitored your son coming from where he was to here. We had him connected to monitors. And he said, I don't know how to explain this, but he said, mile by mile, minute by minute, hour by hour, he began to improve. And he said, we've done all the tests on your son. And he said, there's absolutely nothing wrong with him. He said, he's awake. All we've got to do is take the ventilator out of his mouth, which will be a process. And he said, uh, he's just normal. He said, now, he could have a little bit of memory problem. We don't know, you know, what, what brain damage will remain. Long story short, that was Saturday at noon. Gary went home from that hospital on Tuesday afternoon. Gary is a CPA. He went back to his accounting practice the following Monday. He was in a wheelchair because his leg was in a cast with no memory loss, no problems at all, alive and well today because God acted like God. And that's, that's, that's what I want to send you home with, a victory reference that God's going to show up and act like God. That's what Jericho did. Uh, Rahab said, we've heard about you. And all of a sudden, God showed up, and they had their own testimonies of what God can do. The, the walls came down flat. So you're going to go home with the victory. God has a prophetic call on your life. You're going to go home and lay hold of it. I don't know how it'll work out. I don't know how your life will be different from mine, but it will. But everybody in the room has kingdom purpose. Everybody in the room uh, was died for by Jesus. We have great, exceeding, tremendous promises, and we'll fight from faith, the victory, and we'll lay hold uh, on what is ours. Romans 16, verse 20, the Apostle Paul wrote, The God of peace shall bruise Satan shortly, under your feet. Under your feet. That's how God bruises Satan. Under your foot. So I want you to go home and whatever is arrayed against you, I want you to put your foot on it. Will you do that? I just say to God, I'm putting my foot on it. Uh, your prophetic promise, whatever God wants you to do, uh, for his kingdom purposes. I want you to put your foot on it. I don't want you to be passive. I don't want you sitting in the automobile like Scout did with the Dobermans and letting somebody else fight. I want you to be engaged because this is your going home scripture. The God of peace is going to bruise Satan shortly under your feet. Under your feet. Praise God. Well, it was around, uh, I think it was about 1998. Gene and I are graduates of the University of Alabama. So we're, we're big football fans. We enjoy watching 
Alabama play football. Uh, maybe Clemson, Alabama. I don't know. Some of you may be from South Carolina, but Alabama has good football teams. So anyway, Gene said to me, well, uh, I bought tickets. Uh, we're going to go back to Tuscaloosa. This was the campus where we met. And he said, uh, we're going to watch Alabama play Florida. And I said, well, good. He said, we hadn't done this in a long time. It'll be a weekend, you know, visiting our old haunting places where we courted, and we'll get to see the ball game. So we get to the ball game, and we separate to go to the bathroom. Now, the stadium's huge, uh, probably 100,000 people there. So Gene gives me my ticket in case we get separated. And he said, I'll just meet you in the stadium. And I said, okay, because he was going to the restroom. I was. And he put in my hand a ticket that had been bought and paid for. It said that I had a seat in section KK, row number four. We were four rows from the bottom of the stadium. Seat number two. Uh, seat number one was on the aisle, and then I had seat number two. So I go to seat number two in section KK, row number four. Gene has seat number one. And it's not long until everything around us fills up. And in our little section of the stadium, that section of KK around, you know, row four, I'm the only girl in that part of the stadium. And seat number three is occupied and, and uh, I mean this like I'm saying it, Big Bubba. <laughs> Big Bubba has seat number three. I mean, Bubba is serious Alabama football fan. He's got his radio, his hat, his shirt, and, and Big Bubba's next to me. So I'm here, Gene, my husband on the aisle, Big Bubba in seat number three. Now, I, I sit like my mother taught me to sit, like a lady. So I, I'm completely occupying my little seat number two. Now we're at the bottom of the stadium, so every time Alabama and Florida do anything, we have to stand up to see because we're not way up there. And every time we would stand up and sit back down, Big Bubba in seat three is taking seat number two <laughs> away from me. So that eventually, by the end of the first quarter, I'm literally sitting like this. And I'm leaning over onto Jean. I have just a tiny sliver of seat number two. And Big Bubba's got most of my seat and his seat. So finally, you know, I, my neck hurts and my hips hurting. And I, I get to thinking about that. And I thought, I've got a ticket that says seat number two was bought and paid for from me. Big Bubba doesn't own seat number two. If he wanted seat number two, he should have bought seat number two. Seat number two belongs to me. I'm, I just, this thing rose up in me. Uh, this temper that Gene was a little bit familiar with. And I thought, well, the next time, you know, we stand up, I'm going to take back seat number two. So sure enough, we all stood up. I remained seated, and I uncrossed my leg, and I occupied seat number two, just like this. And when Big Bubba sat down, he sat on me because he's used to having seat number two. And he literally sat down on me. And I didn't even look at him. I just sat like this. And he was kind of glaring at me like it was his seat. And I thought, I'm not moving. I have a ticket that says seat number two's mine. So Big Bubba sits down. And, and this true story, he, he sat down. And, you know, he's in seat three. He doesn't fit seat three. And I have seat number two. And when he sat down, he took his hip and, boing, hit me really hard so that I slid. And, you know, being a Christian woman, you know, my attitude was, you know, to kind of just stay over here next to Jean. And I thought, nope, seat number two's mine. So I took my hip, knocked him 
back off of seat number two. I don't know how I did it, but I knocked him off of seat number two. And I could feel him kind of, you know, giving me the eyeball here. And then Big Bubba took his thigh, and he took his thigh against mine and started putting pressure against my thigh, hard pressure to push me off of seat number two. Well, again, being a woman of God, my first instinct, you know, was to move my thigh. And I thought, nope, not going to do it. So I took my thigh and pushed back against him. And he and I are doing this pushing thing over here. So finally, I turned to Jean, who's on the aisle, and I say, I need some prayer over here. <laughs> and he's just engaged in the ball game. And he said, what do you need prayer for? I said, I'm in thigh-to-thigh -thigh combat with Big Bubba over <laughs> And I need an intercessor on my wall. And Gene said to me, leave that man alone. I said, I'm not leaving that man alone. <laughs> I said, he's got my seat, and I'm not leaving him alone. And Gene just wouldn't even, you know, intercede. He just over here watching the ball game. So Big Bubba and I had a little battle here, but I'm glad to report that when the whistle blew and the game was over, I can't remember if Alabama or Florida won, but I was in full possession of seat number two. Hallelujah. It was mine. So you're going home with a ticket bought for you by Jesus Christ. Uh, there's a place that God has for you that is prophetic. There's a place for healing. There's a place for your deliverance. And you've got the ticket bought and paid for. And there may be some big bubbas along the way, but I want you to know you're bigger than any big bubba that tries to take your seat. You are the victorious people of God. Hallelujah. 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 We thank you, Lord. Now, the Lord spoke to me. There's going to be healing here today. If you need physical healing, I want you to stand to your feet right now. You, you've been fighting physical battles. Is it possible we can just line them up right here? Why don't you just come up here and we're just going to...